Good morning. How are we? How about them Badgers? Yes. We, uh, I won't lie to you, we, uh, let's see, um, the elite Christians were here last night at the uh, Saturday night service. <laughs> I'll be honest, there were few. <laughs> there, there were not many of us. And uh, we had the game going on in the gym, and uh, there were people kind of coming in and out. So I didn't take it personally. <laughs> no big deal. Instead of my message, I just kind of shucked the message, and uh, we just prayed the whole service. And... Uh, <laughs> So the watching in the chapel or the foundry, you may see people coming in because we were just praying. No, you know. Obviously, the uh, prayer of a righteous congregation availeth much because they won and they're in the final four. And uh, I have solely but surely become a Badger fan. So hopefully they win on Saturday. We'll just keep praying, right? Yeah, we'll keep praying. It's important. But there's much more important things coming up actually this weekend, which is uh, we're in Holy Week. So happy Palm Sunday. Um, it is Palm Sunday for those of you who maybe had no idea. And uh, this Sunday starts Holy Week, which is the most important week in the history of the world and the most important week in the history of the church. And still we celebrate it um, today. And so I just want to encourage you, uh, maybe you grew up celebrating Holy Week as this big, massive thing or never really. Um, but just maybe start today, Palm Sunday. You can open up in the, uh, not necessarily right now, but in John 13, Luke 18, I think Mark 11, to start kind of the Holy Week in the Gospels. And uh, you can go through day by day and read a little bit. On today's Sunday, you can read Jesus coming into Jerusalem, the palm branches on the ground, and you can kind of track the whole week. And it'd be a great way to just enter into Holy Week and then come Good Friday to be at our services here, Resurrection Sunday. And every year, I know people are like, it's Easter again. It keeps changing on when it happens. And just don't want you to be like, Miss this week because every week is obviously important and a week to be in God's word. But this is especially a great week to just in the run up to Easter Sunday. And when you're coming here on Sunday, uh, just to be in a different place maybe. Because you entered into daily every single day this week. And I just know that Easter Sunday would be that much more powerful if that happened. So you cannot say you did not know because now you know. And I have told you that uh, Palm Sunday, just start reading through the Gospels and you can read every day. To Easter Sunday, and that would be awesome. Well, also, we're in the Gospels, and so if you have a Bible with you uh, somewhere, somehow on a phone, physically with you, open it up to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We're not quite at good the Holy Week yet. Uh, we're getting closer, though. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 is where we'll start and where we'll be um, this weekend. One of uh, my favorite uh, movies growing up, and uh, I, I, from what I hear, one of the greatest films, some say, some say of all time, is a movie called uh, Richie Rich. You guys heard of this movie? No. Isn't it not one of the greatest of all time? <laughs> you look at top ten lists, and it's always there. I don't know how it happens. It just appears. Uh, Macaulay Culkin, I'm fairly certain, won an Academy Award for his role as uh, Richie Rich um, in 1994. It wasn't Tom Hanks for Forrest Gump. It was actually Macaulay Culkin, and he is just terrible in this film. But I loved, I loved the movie growing up because Richie Rich was, as you can guess by the title, it's based on a comic strip from, um, uh, I think, back in the 50s. And uh, he is a rich kid who, um, at his house, which is filmed at the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina, it's this massive estate. And at his house, he had, like, a McDonald's in his house. 
I remember watching it as like a six, seven, eight-year-old thinking that is awesome. That is whatever he did to get that, that's what I want. He had a roller coaster in his backyard. Um, he had like a bowling alley. I mean, you name it. He had all of these things in this house. And, um, you know, the, the point of the movie was that uh, he had all these things, but he didn't have any friends. And so friends with the true riches and all this stuff is just stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's okay. Whatever. Great. I want a McDonald's in my house. Like that is what I, friends, uh, they're important, but that would be awesome. And now, of course, it would kill me if I had one. So when I'm six, seven, and eight, you know, you can, you can dream. Uh, it's amazing, though, how uh, something like that, when you are a young child, can be so formative, though, to how you view the world in terms of what you want and what you think is what we should have, right? In our culture, which is built basically on, among many things, one of which is greed and trying to have things and possess things. And I remember as a little kid, it kind of seems innocent. Well, I want McDonald's in my house. Is that a big deal? And then it turns into other things that I want but certainly don't need and things that I feel like I need to have but definitely don't need to have. Things that if I buy this or use this or have that it will make me happier. And it does for a little bit till it makes me sad and I have to get the newest version of whatever it is that I need to have. And, and our culture is built on greed, right, that we don't have enough. And greed creates massive anxiety, right? Would you say that our culture is one filled with anxiety and worry, depression, loneliness, disconnectedness, even though we're, we're technologically more connected than ever? But actually, we're more disconnected than ever. And this quest to pursue more has actually left many of us broken, left our culture and American culture, especially materialistic and individualistic and actually just very sad and shallow. Far from delivering what it promises, it just delivers much less than that. And Jesus has a good word for us, right, to free us from greed, to help us actually stop worrying about all things and to drive us back to what matters most in life. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to him, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So we have a man uh, coming to Jesus in the crowd, talking to him because Jesus is a rabbi, and he's probably the younger brother and has an older brother, and the older brother is going to get everything. He's going to get the inheritance. And the younger brother is like, Dude, not fair. I need what's mine. I am just as much of a brother. Just because he was born earlier, why does he get everything? I need to get stuff too. And so he goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, settle this. Can I get half of the money, of the land, of everything? And Jesus is like, that's not why I came. I'm not here to settle property disputes between brothers. That is not it. And then he, though, launches into this um, teaching on greed. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all forms of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And uh, this is not taken out of the 21st century. This is a first century teaching. And how relevant is it for all of us? Because hearts are the same in the first century and the 21st century. Right? They're all broken. And they all look for things outside of God. And Jesus says, do not do that. Do not, do not pursue greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Right? We all have more possessions than we need, right? We do, <laughs> right? It's kind of like if you're an American, you just have more than you need. It's kind of like and you compare yourself to other people. How much do they have? What's their house, right? What's their car? Where do they go on vacation, not go on vacation? How hard do they work? They don't work as hard as me, right? It's this comparative sport that you and I live in, and it actually makes us very miserable, but we keep doing it. And we just have all this stuff that we actually don't need. And so I came across this article on the... Um, the self-storage industry. Any of you guys store anything in self-storage? 
if you do forgive me for what I'm about to say, um, because I'm about to rail against it. Um, And you can talk to me after. But it's to illustrate a point about just the culture that we live in. There was a time when there was no such thing as self-storage, right? It was like in your house. But now it's no longer that way. From the article, it says the United States now has 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage space. The Self-Storage Association, which now I know there is one, notes that with more than seven square feet for every man, woman, and child, it's now physically possible that every American could stand all at the same time under the total canopy of self-storage roofing in America. 50% of self-storage renters, the people who rent, are now simply storing things that will not fit in their homes, even though the size of the average American house has almost doubled in the previous 50 years to 2,300 square feet. Derek Naylor, the president of the consulting group Storage Marketing Solutions, says human laziness has always been a big friend of self-storage operators because once they're in, Nobody likes to spend all day moving their stuff out of storage as long as they can afford it or feel psychologically like they can afford it. They'll leave their stuff in there forever. Right? The self-storage industry makes about $25 billion a year. And every year it makes millions and millions and millions of more. And, and more and more of it is just stuff that we kind of want to keep but don't want to have in our house. We want to have somewhere else. And we just have all of these things, this stuff. And Jesus says life does not consist in an abundance of things. Right? We don't get before the Lord one day and say, God, look at my things. Look at my storage container. God says, wow, that's wonderful. Is that what you came from the Bible with? <laughs> right? Not that you can't have things. Not necessarily that you can't have a self-storage container. But if that is it, right, then we've missed the mark. And so Jesus, to drill this down further, he tells a parable. He says this in verse 16. He says, he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So Jesus tells a parable to the entire crowd of a rich man who um, has a good harvest, and he has a business plan with how to make the most out of his harvest. And so uh, Jesus is not necessarily saying his business plan was wrong or his idea was wrong, but that his motivation was wrong. And so he has all this harvest, but he has a small barn. And so like, what can I do? I'm going to build a bigger barn, but not so that he can give the harvest away or he can enter into the economy to help uh, people or to help himself just enough. He builds a bigger barn, and then he says to himself, this is what I'll do. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Right, here is the American dream. (laughs) Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Right, he is greedy. Right, he's just longing for these things. And then he's like, I can just rest now because this life is all that there is. And the Apostle Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 15. And he says, he says this. He says, if the dead are not raised... Let us eat and drink and basically be merry, for tomorrow we die. Right? If you don't believe in life beyond the grave, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then this life is all that there is, and you can live your life to be about you and to pursue happiness for yourself. Right? The pursuit of happiness is found in pursuing whatever makes you happy, whatever fulfills you. If the dead aren't raised, if there is no God, if there is no life beyond the sun, then just do whatever you want to do because then you go into the ground and then it's over. 
right? Tomorrow you die. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And this is the life that this man is living. And greed is just this confession that God is not enough, right? Greed is a confession that what God has and just who he is is not sufficient for the joy and the happiness of my life. And this man is living that. Look how many times he says either I or my Right, he asked the question, what shall I do? How shall I respond to God's blessing, right? Even though he doesn't acknowledge it's God's blessing. And so he has a plan, but he has a total wrong motivation. The, I had no place to store my crops, my barn, right? My surplus, my grain. All of it is mine. I've done this, and so I've earned the right to take life easy because of these things that have happened, right? I made it rain. I made the harvest grow. And so now I can just sit on my lazy boy and watch Netflix <laughs> because life is good. And Jesus says, you're a fool. He doesn't say, well, let's rethink this. Right? He doesn't say, well, that's not the smartest thing to do. Right? God thunders. And he says, verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself, right? Who will get all of this stuff? Nobody will. You can't bless anyone with it because you've just used it for you. And you are a fool because you can't take any of this stuff with you. Right? John Piper famously said, you, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Right? You can't take anything <laughs> with you. It's sinking in. Just let it. Can't. There it is. Okay, good. We got it. You can't take anything with you. You pass it on to other people, and then they have more stuff than they need, right? God's like, who's going to be benefit from any of the stuff that you have? Nobody. You are a fool. And, and biblically, a fool is not just someone who's not smart or is kind of just not have things together. A fool is this, Psalm 14.1. A fool is a person who says in their heart, there is no God. There is no one I'm living for besides me, basically. Right? I may go to church even, I, I may be a part of things, but at the end of the day, I'm living for myself. I'm not submitting my life to God, my money to God, my finances to God, my children to God. I'm not submitting my soul to God. I'm, I'm just not doing any of that because I don't really want to because it's really my life and I've earned it. And God says, you are a fool. Because, right, God is the creator. It is not in the beginning man. It is in the beginning God. And this is the foundation for any worldview that we want to have as a Christian. In the beginning, God. God is the creator. God is the author. God is at the center of the entire cosmos. He's in the center of your life. And when you, you disconnect your life from who God is, then things will always, always, always break down. Always, always, always. You'll be more anxious. You'll be more worried. You'll be more lonely. You'll be more depressed when your life is disconnected from Jesus Christ. Always, always, always. What Jesus is trying to say here, right? The point of your life is not take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That is not the answer to what's gone wrong in our hearts. God says you're just being a fool because you don't realize that it's me who stands behind everything and gives life to everything. Well, Jesus continues to nail down this, this story. He pulls the disciples aside and he, has, he teaches them even more. Verse 22 then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, which you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. 
Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? How many of us <laughs> worry? All right. Let's, how many? Let's see it. How many of you worry? Okay, everybody. Okay. Let me just encourage you. Jesus says don't. <laughs> and there's no comma. There's no, well, just worry about these things. He says do not worry about, your, about like important things like food and what you should wear. These are fairly important things, right? You're all wearing clothes, thankfully, <laughs> right? You are probably going to eat lunch after this. You had breakfast this morning. You have to do these things. And yet, don't you think God knows how important they are? And yet he says, don't worry about these things because your life is more important than these things. And then what he does is he gets you and I to change our perspective. And he says, quit looking at you and start considering creation. Consider the ravens, this unclean bird. I feed him. I feed her. They can't feed themselves, right? Everything that they need to survive, God provides for them. Consider the grass and the wildflowers. Everything that they use to live, I give to them. The sun and the rain, the soil, I make this happen. I'm in control. Consider the things that I have made. Look at them. Meditate on them. Not to worship wildflowers or worship trees, right? But to worship the God who made them, who created them. And saying if he cares for, for trees and animals and these things, then, then he must care for me even more. It's something he's shifting our perspective from just focusing on us and our, our situation to consider creation and how all of it flows together. When I was a little bit younger in my life, I went uh, with my dad to Las Vegas. And uh, he had a business trip, and so I went with him. And uh, he was working during the day, and so the first of our, like, three days there, I walked up and down the strip, which is quite illuminating for someone who'd never been there and uh, was a teenager. And um, I got to walk kind of in through the casinos and uh, too young to do anything. And I was just walking through and got to see, though, a lot of things. And so I'd walk down one side of the strip and then walk down the other. And I thought, you know, I'd seen Vegas like my whole life. I thought, this is going to be exciting and awesome. And it's like this visual just feast. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And as I just spent time like walking through all the casinos and all the stuff, I just remember feeling like this deep sadness in me. And I thought, man, this is a city that man has built. This is a Babel. And God is greed and God is, is money. And not to say that God's not doing things in Las Vegas because he is, thank God. But when you just look at it, and from my perspective, walking up and down, I didn't leave the day thinking, this is awesome and I want to move here and live here. I remember thinking, man, I just feel so sad for all the people who are pursuing these things in life. And how sad they must be when they get on their plane and go home to whatever their life is. Because they think this is the answer. Take life easy, eat, drink, and gamble. And so the next day I was like, dad, I can't do that again. I'm depressed about life. And uh, let me go to the Grand Canyon. He was like, great, go to the Grand Canyon. And so I'd never been before. And I got on the bus at 6 a.m. And like the next 50 people on the bus, uh, except for like one or two of them, I, I kid you not, none of them spoke English. Like none of them spoke English. And our bus driver was like angry and cantankerous. And I, I, he's like fell asleep, I, I think like a couple of times as he was driving out to the Grand Canyon. And he's like yelling at us on the tour, like over here is this. And everybody, no one understands him, so it doesn't even matter for them. But I'm like, this dude is sounding crazy. I don't even know what bus I'm on right now, but I'm fairly certain it's not going to the Grand Canyon. 
Right? I'm fairly certain this bus is going to hell. That, that is the bus that I'm on because this, this has to be it. We're, I know we're not going. And I, the phone's not working because we're out in the middle of nowhere. So this has been a great life. And I'm just thinking of all these things. And I fell asleep like two or three different times. And every time I woke up was another black and white documentary of the Beatles that was on. And everybody else was like eating it up. And I was like, I don't really get the Beatles. I, don't, I know they're awesome. But I was like, this is just. And so I fall asleep and be like, finally, when I wake up, they won't be on. And there they are again on the screen. And I'm just looking around. I'm like, this is a nightmare. I am actually in a nightmare where I am. <laughs> and, you know, it took us five hours to get there. Five hours. Which is way longer than it should. Um, and we get there. And the guy's like, you got 20 minutes at the rim. Because it took us too long to get here. I'm like, Whose fault is that? Right? Your fault. You know, so I got a knife and slashed the tires of the bus. And <laughs> I didn't do that. I thought it was like 20 minutes. Like, it's not the small canyon. It's the Grand Canyon. We've been five hours on a bus, and we're going to see the Grand Canyon in 20 minutes. And so we stopped three different places for 20 minutes. And so I'm just like mopey. And I'm like, this whole trip was a disaster. I should have just gone to college already. What am I doing here? And so I'm walking off the bus, and I'm like, this better be awesome. It's probably not going to be. Yeah, whatever. And so I'm walking off the bus, and we kind of have to park further away because um, of where the buses, uh, you know, park. And so we walk up there, and everybody's just kind of leaving. And I have no idea what people are saying. And uh, I walk up there, and it's the first time, and still to this day, the only time in my life where my breath has actually been taken away. If you've been in the Grand Canyon, then you know. You know, I, c I could show a picture, but it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't do justice. Um, I could paint you a picture, but it wouldn't matter. It's the first time, and the only time in my life where my breath has been taken away. I've been in some beautiful places in my life. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I looked at the river flowing below. I looked at the rocks and, and, just, and the grass. And, and just you, you, this amazing just creation below. And I remember thinking, man, I am so small. And in Las Vegas the day before, I remember thinking, man, man thinks he's really big. And I'm standing in the Grand Canyon, and I just, I didn't feel small, like, oh, I'm terrible, and I'm weak, and, and look, I remember feeling like God is so big and so great, and he made this. Jesus, in a way, he says, consider the Grand Canyon and how I make all of it work and how I created this and how the river flows and how the birds, the ravens that live there, how they get their food every day. All of this happens because I provide for it. Look how beautiful, how majestic, how powerful it is, right? Look, just be mesmerized by it. How much more valuable and beautiful are you? Why are you so worried about your life? You and I worry about our life because we think that we're in control. And we think we're in control of what happens to us. Worry basically says, I'm on the throne. And I'm in control of these things. And when things don't go well for me, my worrying goes up and my anxiety goes up. I promise you this, if you read the Bible more, if you pray more, if you're actually seriously involved in a local church more, worrying will go down. Anxiety will go down. Not because you just say, well, none of that actually is real. I'm just making it up in my mind. No, because you have a new perspective on life. You're not denying the truth that's happening in your life. You're actually taking hold of the truth and saying, Jesus, give me new eyes to see all just this craziness in my life. Like, how many of us need to hear? How many of us need to share with people? Do not worry about your life. Consider the canyon. Consider, right, creation. So maybe this week, if it's nicer this week, right, an application of the message is to go outside and spend time observing nature and just see how God connects all of these things and how much more valuable are you than this.
since you cannot do this very little thing, you can't add a single hour to your life by worry. Why do you worry? It does no good. In fact, it actually does a lot of harm to your body to worry, physically, psychologically, and spiritually. Jesus says, do not do it. Consider what I've made. Verse 29, he continues, he says, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan, the non-Jewish, the non-Christian world, those who don't know God, the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. What is your heart set on? Jesus always and always is going to the heart, right? When he is talking with the man who asked him about the inheritance, he's going to his heart and he's saying, you're asking for half the inheritance, but you're a greedy person because you want these things that don't belong to you. Your heart's not in the right place, right? What is your heart set on? What do you think about? What do you spend most of your time thinking about? What occupies your thoughts? What brings you anxiety? What makes you worry? What makes your blood pressure rise? These are things that you need to be submitting to the Lord, to praying about these things. Jesus, do not worry about even important things. doesn't mean don't be concerned about them. Don't engage with them. Don't think about them. But don't worry about them. I love what she said. He says, your father knows that you need them. It's like God the Father knows that you need food, right? He's not like, oh, I think I'll feed RD today. I think he needs food. It's, yeah, I forgot about it. I didn't feed him yesterday. I should feed him. Like, that's not how God is. God's not surprised by anything. Nothing that's ever happened in world history has ever surprised God, right? He knows everything. He has everything planned according to his purpose. And I love Jesus is encouraging the disciples who need encouragement because he's about to leave them. He says, do not worry. God knows exactly what you need for your life. He knows exactly what you need. He'll provide for you. And yet the most important thing that you need to do is not worry about these trivial things. Even though they're important, you need to seek first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And then what? All of these things will be given to you. It's about priority. It's about importance. What do you seek first when you wake up in the morning? What do you seek throughout the day? What are you seeking for your life, seeking for your children, seeking for our church, seeking for our city? What are you spending your time seeking and searching for? Jesus says, many things you may be searching for. There's one thing that matters. Seek the kingdom of God. Right? What does that mean? It simply means this. It means pressing more in to who God is, laying hold of who God is. Because God saves all of us equally. And some of us, when God saves us, we may know a lot about the Bible because we grew up in church. And some of us, when God saves us, we never even picked up a Bible when God just saved us. And so we're starting in different places, right? But we're equally saved, right? Because you're not saved by your merit, you're saved by God's mercy. And so all of us are equally saved by an act of God's grace alone. But yet, God says, I want you to press in further. I want you to seek the kingdom further. Seek the king more, right? Leave the shallow end, cut the floaties off. Let's go to the deep end of the pool, right? Because life has deep stuff happening. There's a lot of things happening in your life, in the world, in our city that are very deep that we need to press into more of who God is, right? It's not enough to just be where you were two years ago spiritually, you got to keep pressing into who God is because if you do not do that, you will not grow. You may still be a Christian, but you will not seek the kingdom and lay hold to the more beautiful things that God is. You will not. Right? There's no magic formula. It's reading the Bible. It's praying. It's being part of a local church. It's just old-fashioned religion, right? These are the things that you do. You have to do. They're not options. And yet for you and I, our seeking is not 
in vain. We have to go further in. When I went to the Grand Canyon again a few years later, I hiked down with some of my friends. It was awesome. Like, I got to go back, which was amazing, and it was just as beautiful. And uh, we hiked down for a day, then hiked back up. And we got to have lunch overlooking the Colorado River, and it was just, it was amazing. And as we were at lunch, our guide asked us, he was like, how many people do you think, like, actually come beneath the rim? And we were like, I have no idea. And uh, he's like, about 10% of the people who come to the Grand Canyon ever go beneath the surface. Like, most people just stay at the rim, and it's beautiful from there. And yeah, I, t- I tell you, from what I could see, it was even more beautiful to be in the midst of it, to be deeper in, to be further in. See, everybody who's there is at the Grand Canyon, technically, right? But I got to experience far more because I pressed further in. All of us, if God has saved us, are Christians. And yet, there are many of us who are going deeper with Christ because God is beckoning us more and more to himself. Right? We're hiking down the Grand Canyon, and God is meeting us there. Our search is not in vain, right? When we go into the waters, we know that God is there. Why? Because this is what Jesus says in verse 32. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not fear anything. Do not be afraid of anything, little flock. I love he calls these these grown men, fishermen, probably bigger dudes, right, beardy men. Like, I mean, these are real, legit, masculine men. He's like my little lambs. Right? My little flock, do not be afraid. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Right? What's your searching for? God has already provided through his son. So we don't have to search in vain. We don't have to be a Christian our whole life and wonder, will God accept me? Will God welcome me? We can already know because it says right here, God is pleased to give you the kingdom. He's pleased to get son. God does not begrudgingly give you grace. He does not begrudgingly give you his affection and say, well, R.D., you're a pastor now, so it's time to give you the keys to the kingdom, right? You earned it. You had a great year this year. You're now in, right? That is not the biblical teaching, right? I had a terrible year this year, and God still saved me. That's what grace is, right? And so he says, what, you're, what the disciples, what you're looking for, what people are looking for is actually already come among them. Jesus the king walks with us. God was overjoyed to give you salvation. God was overjoyed to save you and to welcome you into his family. So now you and I can call God Father, and we don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. We can trust God. All that you long for, meaning in life, purpose in life, fulfillment in life, joy in life, life to come, all of that you and I can find in the gospel in Jesus. What else do you need? Why are you so worried? Because we spend our time thinking about very small things in the grand scheme of things. And Jesus says, let's check our perspective. Our Father was overjoyed to give you the kingdom of God. Do not be afraid, my children. Do not be afraid. The pagan world runs after such things. The pagan world lives its life very afraid, always nervous, always anxious, not knowing if God will love them, not knowing if God will accept them, right? Building up stuff and stuff, piling it high, building bigger barns, building bigger houses, building bigger things, always anxious, always nervous. Jesus says, do not be like the pagan world. Do not be nervous. Do not be anxious. You are a distinct people, a kingdom people. Have peace. Right? The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 4. He says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a great verse. This is the first verse I ever memorized. My mom basically, like, tattooed it on my head. Like, she's always made me memorize it. And I was, finally, I was like, Mom, uh, it's this verse. I know it. You know, and I would just repeat it to her, like, do not be anxious about anything, but through everything through prayer and petition. You know, and she's like, you say it like that now, <laughs> but one day, well, here I am. And I can look at my life and say, what does Paul say? He says, do not be anxious about anything. I think even in the Greek, that means anything. (laughs) Right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in all things, in everything in your life, whatever you're facing, through prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God will transcend you because your hearts and your minds are guarded in Jesus Christ. Right, that is peace that passes all understanding. This world cannot touch it. It does not mean, right, the philosophy of the Bible is not don't worry, be happy. <laughs> right? It is not just, just in yourself, forget about it. It's all made up and just find in your own effort the peace that's somewhere within you. There is no peace within you. Right? There's only peace found in the Spirit of God living in you. Right? You need to consider the character of God. Apply the character of God to your circumstances. Do not let your circumstances define who God is. Let who God is define your circumstances. That will be much healthier for you. It's been much healthier for me because I can look at my life and see why is this happening to me. And I worry and I get anxious as a dad, as a husband, right, as a pastor. So many things to worry about. And yet I'm letting my circumstances define who God is. Instead of saying, this is who I know God is, let me filter that through all that God is doing and all that's happening in my life. That's what we need to be doing. Not simply just saying to ourselves, don't worry, be happy, pick your chin up, everything will be fine. (laughs) Here's how the song goes. Bobby McFerrin, if it gets caught in your head, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm not sorry. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. You guys nailed it. In every life, we have some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. That is deep. That is deep. (laughs) Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. The landlord said your rent is late. He may have to litigate. (laughs) But don't worry. Be happy. Look at me. I'm, I'm happy. Ain't got no cash. Ain't got no style. Ain't got no girl to make you smile. But don't worry. Be happy. Your face will frown. That will bring everybody down. So don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy now. This is a catchy song. It is terrible theology. (laughs) This is not what the Bible says. The Bible says, don't worry. Consider Jesus. Don't worry. Consider the ravens. Don't worry. Consider the Grand Canyon. Don't worry consider the cross. Don't worry, consider the resurrection. Don't worry, consider him who will return for you. Do not worry, consider him who sits on the throne. What are you so worried about? Do not worry. I said earlier from the passage, the statement, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, right? And that's the philosophy of a pagan world. It's the philosophy of people who say that this life is all that there is. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. 
In Russell Moore's great book, Tempted and Tried, he rephrases that for the Christian, for the gospel-loving person. He says, if you are a Christian, this is how you can rephrase that. You could say this. If Christ has saved you, you can say, eat, drink, and be merry, for yesterday we were dead. Eat, drink, and be merry, for yesterday we were dead. So now you and I can enjoy life. I'm not against vacations. I just took one. It was amazing. Even with kids, right? It was still good, though a little harder, right? I'm not against vacations. I'm not against having things. I'm not against having, right, a life that you enjoy. Jesus says enjoy your life, but not because this life is everything, but because Jesus Christ gave you life to enjoy have parties, right? Uh, have good things to drink. Have good things to eat. And all those things you're eating and drinking and tasting, all that you're seeing, would that point you into worship God and who he is? Would it not terminate on what you're eating or what you're drinking? But would it terminate on who God is and what he's done for you? Right? Eat, drink, and be merry, for yesterday we were dead. And God in his grace gave us the kingdom. He gave it to us. And so now, as we're going to sing in a second, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more and more and more. Look at me. Whatever it is that you're walking through, whatever it is that you're going through, I know many of us, we're going to have th things that we worry about. 2015 will be things of a lot of things to be anxious about. Jesus Christ, who sits on the throne right next to God, says, do not worry. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Not because your head is in the sand, but because you're finally seeing clearly and you're seeing the one who rules and reigns over all things. And you're thinking, that's my God. Consider him who cares for you. And do not be afraid. Let's pray. Our Father, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more and more and more. Father, I pray that we would be a people. We would be a people who do not just build bigger barns or build bigger houses, but be a people who build a foundation on you, on your grace and on your mercy. Father, help us be people who do not worry, who are not anxious, who trust and lean on you in all things. It is easy to worry. It is easy to be anxious. Father, would we be different because we know the king. Father, help us seek more of the kingdom. Help us walk into the canyon more. Help us walk into the deeper waters of where you are. We thank you that when we walk into those waters, we find you there. And you've been delighted to give us yourself. Let us not be afraid. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus who saves us. And all God's people said, amen.